Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Amen. Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn in them to John chapter 10. We're going to get there in just a couple minutes, but again, I want to welcome those of you who are joining us here today for the first time. Maybe you're here to, to love on one of the kiddos up here and make sure everybody, you give them a high five or you give them a wave after we are done this morning and just say thank you to them for helping lead us in worship. Uh, we are in the season of uh, Christmas, of Advent, and actually we're even in the season of Hanukkah uh, this weekend. And so we're going to be talking about some of these themes about Advent and and really more about Hanukkah today and looking at what scripture has to say about this arrival of Jesus and what it meant for the world. We sang a couple minutes ago, uh, here within a manger lies the one who made the starry skies, this baby born for sacrifice, Christ the Messiah. And to our hopes and to our fears, the savior of the world appears, the promise of eternal years. Christ, our Messiah. Jesus came, he came to fulfill a promise that was made through, by God through the prophets. Uh, the prophet Isaiah, amongst others, foretold of a seed who would come and who would rule and who would reign. And so when Jesus came, he came in the fullness and in perfect completion of what God had promised so long ago. Uh, before we talk about Hanukkah, this is also the season of Advent within the Christian calendar. Advent has this idea of arrival or expectation. And, and oftentimes in Advent, you, you light a candle, the center of the candle, to symbolize Christ. It's called the Christ candle. Depending on your tradition, you might label each one of these candles differently. It might be hope, it might be love, it might be peace, it may be joy. Um, but what I love that ties together both Advent and Hanukkah is this increasing lighting of candles because it's this anticipation that something we are celebrating is coming. In Advent, we celebrate the first arrival of Jesus our Messiah. Even as we wait for his second advent when he returns to this earth. And so in Hanukkah, um, which we'll talk about more fully in a couple minutes, there's actually two traditions for lighting of the lights. One school um, taught that you would light all eight candles and then you would reduce one each day during the eight days of Hanukkah. Um, with uh, there was also another school of thought that said you started with one and then you gradually increased. Over the years, um, the latter one won the battle of how you light the candles at Hanukkah. And so in Hanukkah, you would light the candles on a menorah. It's, it's called a Hanukkiah. Uh, I'll show you a photo of it in just a couple minutes. But even as we light the candles, we are reminded that Christ has come into the world, that Christ is coming again. And I want to read this scripture for you as we begin. Here's, just hold your finger in John chapter 10. We'll get there in just a moment. When scripture talks about light, I love what we read last week. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made and apart from him nothing was made that has been made and in him was life and that life was the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. John chapter one, verses one through five. Verse 14 says, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. And then I'm gonna fast forward to John chapter eight before we get to John chapter 10 where Jesus says this. Then Jesus spoke to them again. He says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. Would you stand with me for the remainder of our scripture reading this morning from John chapter 10? John chapter 10, verse 22, following says, Then the festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple complex in Solomon's colonnade. Then the Jews surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. I did tell you, and you don't believe, Jesus answered them. The works that I do in my Father's name, they testify about me. But you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep, they hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. Which of these works are you stoning me for? We aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, isn't it written in your scripture? I said, you are gods. If he called those whom the word of God came to gods and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say you are blaspheming to the one who the father set apart and sent into the world because I said, I am the son of God? If I'm not doing my father's works, don't believe me. If I am doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Then they were trying again to seize him, yet he eluded their grasp. So he departed again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier and he remained there. Many came to him and said, John never did a sign, but everything John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. These are the very words of God. Father, we thank you for today and we thank you for the chance that we have, the opportunity, the privilege we have, God, to come and to worship. Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight this morning. We pray that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher as we look at these claims of Jesus the Messiah and their implications on us for the darkness of the world in which we live. We give you honor and glory and praise, God, for who you are, for what you have done, and for what you are doing, and for what you will do in the future. Thank you for being faithful to your promises. Thank you for preserving your people. God, thank you for giving us yourself. 
We pray in the name of Jesus. Together we say, amen. Please be seated. So we are talking about a passage here that's perhaps not often preached at the season in which we are in, John chapter 10. But the reason we want to talk about this passage today as we celebrate Advent, we celebrate Hanukkah, is because you'll notice that the setting of this passage actually takes place at a time called the Feast of Dedication, also known as Hanukkah, also known as the Festival of Lights. There's also another Hebrew name for it that I can't remember. But this, this is a feast that is not commanded in Scripture, but we see it practiced by Jesus and his disciples. And it's a feast that stems from an amazing saving act of God. And so we're going to talk this morning about the true miracle of Hanukkah. Some of you know the story of Hanukkah. Some of you may not have any idea of the story of Hanukkah. I'll give you a not short but not super long version of the story of Hanukkah. So there's a little bit of history in this because this tells a story. And one, one uh, Messianic rabbi summed up Hanukkah with three words, and I liked it a lot. Um, Dr. Or rabbi Larry Feldman says, if you want to think about Hanukkah, think about lights, think about deliverance, and think about dedication. Think about light deliverance, and dedication. So that'll kind of form a map for us as we look at the story of Hanukkah, and then we look at John chapter 10 in our last few moments. Um, Hanukkah is a festival in, in which it celebrates how God's people, Israel, were delivered. There's actually at least three stories of this in the Bible where God miraculously delivers his people. One of them is in Exodus, uh, where Pharaoh is in control. He's large and in charge over the people of Israel, and God leads them out by a strong hand. And and God delivers them from slavery to Pharaoh. There's another story that happens, um, and it's called the story of Purim, or the story of Esther, when she's over in the citadel of Susa, there's a man by the name of Haman who wants to kill all the Jews. And he has his heart set on this, much like Pharaoh had his heart set on oppressing the Jews. In the story of Esther, in those chapters of that book, it describes how God saves his people and he uses someone like Mordecai and someone like Esther to be his, his, his image bearers and to stand for truth and to speak into the culture in which they live. This is a story as well about deliverance and it describes a time in history around 167 to 164 BCE. 165, 160 years before the time of Christ. So, so this is something Jesus celebrates, but in, in all sense of um, understanding, this festival is only a couple, at most, you know, 160 years old when Jesus was or so. It describes um, a, an incredible way in which God redeemed and delivered his people from a guy by the name of Antiochus. Antiochus IV, He was also known as Antiochus Epiphanes, which means God manifest. He was a guy who was a Seleucid or a Syrian ruler um, who 
dominated a certain area of the world at that time. There's actually four main generals. For those of you who are history people, you have Alexander the Great that happens about 300 years before the time of Christ. He um, just absolutely obliterates and, and controls the whole world in really a very, very short period of time. He suffers a very early death in his life and his um, empire is broken up into four sections, uh, geographical, each one led by one of his generals. Um, when we get to Antiochus, he's a descendant of one of the generals who took over the Seleucid Empire or the Syrian Empire. So if you, if you think of the Middle East, maybe you've seen a photo of that. I actually forgot to put one in the thing for this week. But a, as you um, think of the Middle East, you have Israel right here. You have the Mediterranean Sea to the west. You have the desert to the east, to the north you have Greece and you have Syria. To the south you have um, the Egyptian area and there's one more kingdom. Um, but the two kingdoms that are going at it at the time of this feast or the time of this festival and the time of this deliverance are the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. Now Ptolemies, there's a P in there so you might say Ptolemy, but I think you say Ptolemy. Um, it's one of those weird words. Anyways, um, what is ends up being is they end up being in the middle of a conflict. And so you have the Seleucids with Antiochus to the north, you have the Ptolemies to the south, and Antiochus wants to rule over the Egypt area. And so to get there, he has to go through the land of Israel, and he conquers and he dominates the land of Israel. And he was very, very unkind to many people, including to the Jewish people. Hanukkah comes about because in the midst of, um, of his desiring to conquer, God delivers his people, Israel, from a very strong and oppressive arm. Um, and Antiochus wasn't just someone who wanted to like extract taxes. Um, he stemmed from Greek culture and he loved all things Greek. And in fact, he wanted to make everyone under his rule think like a Greek, act like a Greek, worship like a Greek. And so he would, even to the point of force, even to the point of death, he would try to impose his way into the Jewish culture. This set up a, a challenge because the question for Israel then is, do we follow what Yahweh has said? Do we worship him alone or do we cave to the political pressure? And, and for the first several years of Antiochus's reign, he sought to make the entire region more Greek through kind things. And he got more and more um, harsh as the time went on. We have written uh, in some early manuscripts that um, one day th there was at least two um, campaigns that Antiochus had to try to take over Egypt. On the second campaign, um, he was called back uh, by, by Rome to say, no, come back here. So he comes back through the land of Judea and as he comes back through, uh, it says in one of the intertestamental books of, uh, it's called the book of Second Maccabees. This is not scripture, but this is a, a historical book that, that some use to help describe what's going on in this years between the finishing of the Old Testament 
um, Bible and the New Testament scriptures. It says that he took the city by force of arms as he comes in to exert power and control of the Jewish people. It says that he, he commanded his men to slay others, killing young and old men, women, children. He says, I, I, I want you to destroy the things in which you see. And he presumed even to go into the most holy temple in all the world. And so Antiochus was not just like, I want your taxes. He was like, I want your allegiance. I want your life. I want your worship. I want all of who you are. And if you didn't give it to him, he would take it by force or he would end your life. That's important for the story of Hanukkah. One of the ways it's described, here's menorah, we'll come back to that in just a moment. One of the ways that this, um, that the story is described and Antiochus is described is in the book of 1 Maccabees. And I, I want to read this uh, to you just to kind of give you some context of what's going on historically. It says, moreover, King Antiochus wrote to his whole kingdom that all should be one people and everyone should leave his laws so that so all the heathen agreed according to the commandment of the king. Yea, many also of the Israelites consented to his religion and sacrificed unto idols and profaned the Sabbath. For the king had sent letters by messengers unto Jerusalem and the cities of Judah that they should find Follow the strange laws of the land and forbid burnt offerings and sacrifice and drink offerings in the temple, and that they should profane the Sabbaths and festival days and pollute the sanctuary and the holy people, that they should set up altars and groves and chapels of idols and sacrifice swine's flesh and unclean beasts, that they should also leave their children uncircumcised and make their souls abominable with all manner of uncleanness and pro. I can't read it back there. Uh, whatever that word is, profane. To the end, they might forget the law and change all the ordinances. And whosoever would not do according to the commandment of the king, he said he should die. What I want you to see is Antiochus is all about allegiance to him. In fact, he's called himself God manifest. And so he says, worship me, worship me, worship me. And he's telling the Jewish people, don't listen to anything that God has told you before. Don't offer sacrifices or burnt offerings. Don't keep the Sabbath. Don't circumcise your male children. And if you do, you will pay. This is a wicked man. This is an absolutely evil person who comes in because he's not just against the Jewish people. He's against the God of the Jewish people. Enter the story of Hanukkah. Hanukkah tells about how Antiochus's men come to a town called Modain, not too far from Jerusalem one day, and they are um, by force trying to force the local leader to offer sacrifices by putting a pig upon the sacrificial altar and, and eating a pig and consuming something that for them was not okay according to what God had told the Jewish people. Um, this leader, his name is Matthias, He's older in life, and yet he stood faithfully against Antiochus. He stood for, the, the, for what God had told his people to do. And as he, as he goes against, even with force, um, the men that Antiochus had sent, um, everything breaks loose. Um, 
His family is called the Maccabees, and we enter what's called the Maccabean period, and Maccabee means hammer. And for the next three years, they become essentially engaged in guerrilla warfare, and people who are observant and, and want, want to follow God as he had prescribed the Jewish people in the scriptures, they, they join in with them, and they push back against this king, Antiochus, and they push back hammer after hammer, bit after bit, day after day, week after week, year after after year, and they engage in essentially guerrilla warfare. The story of Hanukkah is a story of how these Maccabean people, uh, these Maccabean, the, these Jewish people from the from the from the family of the Maccabees, eventually, after three years, they kind of whittle away at Antiochus's army, and they get freedom from Antiochus. They come into Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem had had a temple of Zeus um, or an altar of Zeus built into the worship there. So it profaned the altar. There was a pig that Antiochus sacrificed on the altar, which is a big no-no in Judaism because pig is unclean according to kosher laws. And so he's done everything to desecrate the temple. They come in and they're absolutely broken because they look at all this destruction and they see, oh my word, look at all the things that, 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 that this evil ruler has done. And they begin the process of setting things back in order, of rededicating the altar, and of, of, of um, making holy or, or suitable for use again the various components for worship of Yahweh. The miracle of Hanukkah, as it is traditionally told, um, centers on a little bit of oil. Uh, there's a menorah. It, it kind of looks like this. This is called a Hanukkah because there's, there's nine um, different candles. There's eight on the side, so four and four. Um, for the eight days of Hanukkah, the one in the center is called the shamash, which is a servant candle. Use the servant candle to light all the other ones as you celebrate Hanukkah. Um, and the story of lights, the, one of the reasons it's called the Festival of Lights is because one of the miracles... Um, that they say God did was that there was, there was not enough oil to burn on the menorah until they were able to have more purified oil. So they take what should have been one day's oil and they light the menorah and on day two, the oil doesn't run out. And on day three, the oil doesn't run out. Day four, day five, day six, day seven, day eight, the oil does not run out. Now, um, many scholars call that a legend, and that it very well may be. Uh, we don't have record of that in the scriptures, and so um, we'll take that as it is. But the idea of light permeates Hanukkah because it's a story of how God redeemed his people and how God made a way for them during a very difficult time. Light is incredibly significant in Hanukkah. And one of the prayers that is prayed within Judaism um, during the season of Hanukkah goes like this. We kindle these lights to commemorate the miracles and the wonders and the victorious battles that you achieved for our fathers in those days. At the season, through your holy priest. During all the eight days of Hanukkah, these lights are sacred and we are not permitted to make use of them. In other words, you don't use them to light your way, you use them to look at and to say, God, you are amazing. 
These lights are sacred. We are not permitted to make use of them, but we are only to look at them in order to give thanks and to praise your name for your miracles, your wonders, and your salvations. So when Jesus is gathered in John chapter 10 to celebrate Hanukkah, he's gathering to say, God, you have been faithful. Father, your wonders, your salvations, your name is to be praised. And he does this in John chapter 10. He does this after he has declared something very important that I read to you earlier. In John chapter 8, you don't need to turn there. Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. So he comes, as we sometimes sing, light and life to all he brings. Jesus is all about life, and he's all about bringing light to a situation and light to the lives of his people. And so we come to the season of Hanukkah, and if you're in a Jewish community, you will often see the Hanukkah um, visible from the road. It's typically put in a place that's nearby a door, nearby a window, something that can be seen. And as you go through and you light these lights, you're blessing God for his deliverance. You're blessing God for the miracle of how he preserved the light during that time back in 164 um, BCE. And this happens right around this time. It's uh, Antiochus takes down the altar or desecrates the altar on 25 Kislev, which is right around this time of the year. And three years to the date later, they reconsecrate the altar under the Maccabees. And they say, we are here to proclaim the name of Yahweh. That's kind of the story of Hanukkah in a medium time frame. Um, some of you, that's like, that's not medium. <laughs> that's okay. Um, as we think about this, though, um, this sets a context for what Jesus is doing here. He's talking with the religious leaders. And Hanukkah was a season, one scholar puts it this way. He says, Hanukkah is a season where um, the, the Jewish leadership was considered a little bit um, suspect. And the reason um, they, they would reevaluate the Jewish leadership is because um, when the whole thing of Hanukkah went down, there were even priests, um, some historical books tell us that priests would go from offering something before Yahweh and then they would go engage in some sort of pagan thing and then they would come back and do something else. And, in other words, there was not a, a, a priesthood at the time of Antiochus that was set on honoring God. And that was a problem. And so this kind of idea permeates a little bit of what happens even as Jesus is walking in Solomon's colonnade because he's at a time here where the religious leaders are, are fairly political. There are some who are siding with Rome and just wanting to stave away uh, and keep uh, the Romans from coming in and messing with Jewish customs. Jesus calls out some religious leaders and he says, I would like, you know, you, you, you tied your dill and your mint and your cumin, but I'd rather you do justly and you love mercy and you, you honor God in everything you do. Like, Jesus is all about the heart issue and there's a lot of leaders at Jesus' time and before who didn't have a heart that followed God. So Jesus is walking um, during the 
feast of dedication. And he's walking, verse 23 says, in the temple complex in Solomon's colonnade. Here's what this looks like. Here's a model of the temple uh, from Jerusalem. You have the, the temple in the very center and you have Solomon's colonnade, which is on this side. It's on the back side. And it's all those, those big pillars. There's actually pillars on several sides because those would provide shelter during the winter seasons. Yes, sometimes it even snows in Jerusalem and yes, it can get cold. So Jesus is walking over there and there's people who come up to him. There's Jews who surround him. That idea of the word surround there means to close in on him. These are people who are not necessarily his friends. They're people who are wanting to understand who he is, but they really don't like Jesus because he's teaching things that they're like, hang on a second, what are you doing? And we'll see that in the context here. The Jews surrounded him and they asked him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now, Jesus has already had moments in which, uh, in his ministry, people have tried to kill him for what is called blasphemy. And that's claiming to be God when you're not God. Um, at least once already, people have tried to stone him for this. And, but you have this problem because Jesus is doing amazing teaching. Like uh, the way that Matthew's gospel describes it is that, that people heard him teach and they're like, this is different. He, he has an authority. He, he has a standing that our teachers don't have. Not only that, he's doing amazing works. And they say to him, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus says in verse 25, I did tell you, you don't believe. So the problem is not with Jesus' declaration about himself. It's that they're not willing to receive what he is saying and even more what he is doing. And that's gonna come into play here. Jesus answered them, the works that I do in my Father's name, they testify about me. He says, but the problem is, is that you don't believe because you're not my sheep. He says, my sheep, they know my voice. I know them, they follow me. And if you think about a sheep and a shepherd, uh, when we were in the Middle East several years ago, uh, we were at a Bedouin camp and the, the Bedouin leader, he, he calls up to the rocky crags, which, which were just above where their tents were. And all of a sudden, over the course of the next couple minutes, as he's doing this certain call, you have sheep and you have goats just like making their way, coming down the, the mountain because sheep know their um, shepherd's voice. And multiple times in the scripture, God talks about the importance of shepherds. He actually describes religious leaders as shepherds. He describes um, kings like David who become shepherds. Moses becomes shepherds because they're there to, to shepherd and to care for and to guard and to watch over. See, the thing about sheep is that sheep, they're not dumb, but they're, yeah, they're dumb. Okay, um, they, they don't always think about things. I've told you this story before. My dad had a couple sheep growing up up in western New York and um, Dixie, Trixie, and Dickie were their names. And one of them always loved, I think it was Dixie, um, always loved to lay on top of the blacktop road. You know, and they're out kind of near Lake Ontario, so there's not a ton of traffic, but I'm like, goodness gracious, you want to lay on top of the blacktop road? What happens when that truck, that farming tractor comes by and goes, boom, you've got mutton, I suppose, and you have a good dinner. Um, Anyways, um, sheep aren't dumb. They just need a shepherd. And he's saying, you're not my sheep. You don't know my voice. He says, but my sheep, they hear my voice. He says, I know them. When he says, I know them, he's talking about intimacy. A good shepherd cares about his sheep. He cares about every single one of them. He cares for them. He leads them to water. He leads them to pasture. 
He is for them. He provides for them. It's, it's why the psalmist in Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. One translation says, I shall not want. You could translate it, I lack nothing. Because he knows what it means that a good shepherd knows how to take good care of his sheep. But he says to them, he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them intimately and they follow me. In other words, they hear when I call and they say, here I am. They hear when I say, go and do, and they go. It's this idea of intimacy and obedience that's going on between sheep and shepherd. He says, I give them eternal life. And I love this statement, and they will never perish ever. So it's clear he's not talking about, you know, sheep. He's talking about people. He's talking about how, like what he said in John chapter three, when he says, I have come, I'll just read it to you. John chapter three, you know it well, where Jesus says, we gotta put this down. John chapter three, you know it well, where he says, for God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. In in other words, he's saying, I've come to give life. And I've come that you might believe in me and that you might have life in my name. And he says to them back in John chapter 10, I give them eternal life. Not just life for today, but I give them eternal life. Life for the here and life for the future. He says, no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. He says right before that, they will never perish ever. Think about that as a sheep. To to, to think about, I am so secure in the hand of my shepherd that I have everything I need. And that, even in the troubles of this world, I have eternal life. I will always be with my shepherd and no one can snatch me away from him. Not ever. Jesus is saying, this is, this is what it means to be my sheep. I, I give them eternal life. They don't earn it, I give it to them. They will never perish, ever. No, they, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So not only can no one, sin or death or the adversary, snatch a believer or a sheep from God's fold, no one can snatch them out of Jesus' hand, but no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. He says, the Father and I are one. Which, you know, led to, of course, what he wanted to have happen. Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him, right? Like they're going, hang on a second, you're making divine claims, but they don't believe he's divine. And Jesus is saying, as he said just a couple verses earlier, I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the one to whom you come to find and experience life. And the people want to stone him. Why? Not because of what he said. Well, because of what he said, not because of what he did, but because they didn't believe that what Jesus said and what Jesus did were actually God working on behalf of himself for the benefit of humanity. Verse 32 says, Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. Which of these works are you stoning me for? Like they've got rocks in their hand. He's like, hang on a second. Which works are you stoning me for? (laughs) 
I just imagine their faces at that point. And they said, we aren't stoning you for good works, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy because you, being a man, you make yourself God. And Jesus then goes into this long um, comment here where he uses Psalm 82 to say, by the way, I don't make myself God, I am God. And not only that, I am from the Father. I have his purpose, I have his heart, I am one with him. The one whom you claim to worship, he is the one who said, go. Go into the world. He's the one who said, redeem those who are lost. Because all of us have a sin problem. These leaders who he's talking to, people for whom he would die, they have a sin problem. And he says in verse 37, if I'm not doing my father's works, don't believe me. But if I'm doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. In other words, he says, here's what I've said. Here's what I've done. You cannot believe my speech. But if you're not going to believe my speech, believe what I have done. Consider some of the things that Jesus has done. In the early part of John's gospel, it records that he turned water into wine at a wedding. It's a good wedding. Um, a couple verses later, he meets one of the religious leaders named Nicodemus, and he says, you need to be born again. This religious leader, this teacher of the scriptures is going, what does that even mean? And Jesus says, you have to be born of the spirit because you're lost in your sins. He tells the Samaritan woman in John chapter four, as she's gathering water to satiate her thirst for that day, he says, I can give you water that will make you never thirst again. Incredible story of how he tells her everything that she's doing in her, in her life and he offers her hope in him. A couple of chapters later, there's, a, um, there's the son of, a fi- of an official who is sick and Jesus heals him. There's a paralytic who is raised up to walk. Someone who hadn't walked for 39 years, I think it was. And Jesus says, pick up your mat, walk, let's go. You have the story where Jesus feeds 5,000 people from a small little bit of food. And there's even leftovers. Who doesn't like leftovers, right? You have the healing of a man who was born blind. This is a person who everybody knew who he was. And they're like, how is this possible? And they're trying to figure it out. They see the miraculous signs and yet they don't believe. And that's Jesus' point. He says, believe what I'm saying, but even more, believe the works. You can't separate the word from the work. In fact, if you've got the word and you don't have the work, then I'm not from God. Then I'm not sent here by the Father. But if I am saying this, and I am doing this, believe the works. He says it this way, but if I'm doing, this is verse 38, but if I'm doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. This way you will know and understand that the Father's in me and I in the Father. Then they were trying again to seize him, yet he eluded their grasp. And of course, is not the end of the story. He, he departs from the area of the temple and he goes over back to Bethany and many believed in him. 
This idea of belief is so core to John's gospel. To, to believe means to place all your trust and all your hope and all you have upon the person and the work of Jesus. This is what the people missed. And here's what I love. Um, Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum puts it this way. He says, the real miracle of Hanukkah is this. God became a man to die for mankind so that those who believe can receive salvation. He says the salvation cannot be lost because believers have an eternal salvation. They can walk in the light because he who is the light of the world is indwelling them. Jesus makes three declarations in John chapter 10. He declares himself to be one with the Father. He declares himself to be his son and he declares his deity. And as they celebrate the miracle of lights that didn't go out over the course of eight days, he's saying, if you wanna know the true light, look at me. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. And that's, of course, the message to us today. There's a lot of darkness in the world. We could rehearse all the different kinds, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure it's worth it because there's so much wicked hate, sin, um, movement against God in the world, and yes, even in Zealand, Michigan. And the only hope is the miracle in the wonder of Jesus' death and resurrection. God became man to die for mankind so that those who believe, not those who earn, not those who achieve, but those who believe can receive salvation. What do we have to believe? We have to believe that we are sinners and apart from God, we have no righteousness of our own. And we have to believe that Jesus' death and his resurrection paid for our sin, making us right with God. And that by believing in Jesus and in Jesus alone, we can have life in his name. It's not our church attendance that gets us into heaven. It's not our good works that get us into heaven. It's not what family you were born in that gets you into heaven. It's not how many good and charitable things you do that gets you into heaven, that gets you walking with God. It's believing that apart from him, you can do nothing. And ironically, or maybe gratefully, the same thing that, that, that enables us to receive the gift of God's eternal life, namely belief in Jesus, is the way he calls us to live every day. Dr. Fruchtenbaum, by the way, that's just an awesome name. I love saying it, Fruchtenbaum. He's a Messianic Jew. Uh, it's really incredible stuff, if you ever want to read some of his stuff. Um, he says, this salvation cannot be lost. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, and you're struggling with whether or not God is able to keep you and to save you. You're, you're struggling with, well, I put my faith in Jesus back then, but I don't know about today. Can I just say, if, if you're his then, you're his now. You don't have to worry about your eternal security. Why? The Father has you. Jesus, he has you. He says, no one can snatch them away from my hand. No one, not anyone, ever. What incredible joy this Christmas, right? You don't have to worry about your salvation. If you have professed Christ as your Lord and the Holy Spirit has come into your life, oh man, you are forever kept by God. 
But we also have this incredible privilege, being kept by God and having a righteousness that is not of our own. I love the way Dr. Fruchtenbaum says it. He says, because believers have an eternal salvation, they can walk in the light. In other words, we can walk after God because he who is the light of the world is indwelling them. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit who is the spirit of truth, who leads and guides his people into all righteousness. And what I mean by righteousness is he is the one who guides us by his word and who guides us by the spirit within us to know what is right and not only that, to give us the power to do what is right. Because Jesus did not leave with just, I am the light of the world. In Matthew's gospel, he says, you, you're a light. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, when you light a lamp, you put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. And he says to his disciples, in the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and that they may praise your Father in heaven. Light, deliverance, dedication. This idea of deliverance, the story of God saving his people from a person called Antiochus, but the story really of God saving his people from sin and death through the person of Jesus. This idea of dedication, it's called the Feast of Dedication, um, recalls how the Maccabees said, God, we will stand for you, we will speak for you, we will live for you in the culture in which you have placed us. And friends, we live in a dark culture, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been placed here You've been placed here. I've been placed here to let our light shine before men that they may see how we live and praise our Father in heaven. Not only that, this idea of, 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 of dedication or this idea of light, going back to the photo that I showed you of the Hanukkah. There's four candles on this side, four candles on this side, and a servant candle in the center. One Messianic rabbi pointed this out. I thought this was a neat analogy. Um, all the lights are lit by the servant candle. All, all the eight lights are lit, lit by that servant candle. When Jesus came, he says, it says in Philippians chapter two, that he took upon himself the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He humbled himself. The only way our light shines as his people is to allow the servant candle to light us and to live through us. The point is this. There's a lot of good works you and I could try to do, the acts of charity. The best thing we can do is we can go to God and say, God, how would you have me shine for you in this conversation, in my family? When I have workmen come into the house to fix something. When I go into the workplace, when I go into school, God, how would you shine your light through me? And a couple just comments on how we do that. The first is to allow God's light to shine through us. It's very, very helpful if we know the word of God. The psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We engage God's word because it's God's truth, not my opinion. One of the things we can do as believers, 
open it regularly. Know what God has said. And rightly understand how God wants us to live in light of what he has said. The second is know that you're not alone. Know that you're not alone. The Holy Spirit, I've said this about three or four times now, repetition I hope is helpful. The Holy Spirit is with you to shine the light of Christ through you. He's the spirit of truth who leads and guides us into all right things. Walk with him. The final thing is know that you're not the only light that shines. Every person in this room who's a follower of Jesus, you have a light. The amazing thing is as your light shines, it encourages those around you who find themselves perhaps in difficult circumstances going, God, do I let my light shine here by telling the truth? Yes. Because maybe they saw you do it. You may be facing some really hard things and you're saying, God, is it worth it to let my light shine? And he's saying, yes, it is. You can look hopefully to brothers and sisters and say, by faith, I will let the light of Christ shine in and through me so that people will see him this Christmas. Pray with me, please. Our Father and our King, how grateful we are to be gathered today. Some here, Lord, may have never received you and believed upon your name. And I pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to them with such great power and clarity that they would see that there's life, that life cannot be found at any other place than in you. And God, there's those of us here today who are struggling to let our light shine before men. We may be fearful of what it might cost us. We may be fearful of, of being described as someone who's weird. Um, but Lord, we don't want our good works to shine. We want the light of Christ to shine in and through us. Remind us, God, that you are enough for us today that we don't need to fear because perfect love casts out fear. God, that we don't need to earn or to achieve, but God, help us to have a heart that desires to reflect truth of your word and the truth of your grace. Lord, as we go out into a dark world, even as we experience the lights that come lit up on houses and trees, in our homes and in our neighborhoods this week. Every time we see a light shining in darkness, may we be reminded that that's what you call us to be by the working of your spirit within us. So Lord, here we are. Your people desiring to follow you wherever you lead for your honor and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.